In the market for investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry, Rebag is the answer. Rebag is a luxury resale platform where each piece is carefully inspected by experts to ensure quality and authenticity. Use Rebag to buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Louis Vuitton, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com to get 5% off your first purchase with code REBAGNEW. Shop today at Rebag.com. That's R-E-B-A-G.com. And use promo code REBAGNEW for 5% off your first purchase. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to The Best Bits, a podcast that is dedicated to helping you grow through the worst bits to get to the best. I'm your host and resident hypnotherapist, Lily, and my passion is to help women overcome whatever is holding them back. So let's get into it. I'd like to recognize the traditional owners of the land in which this podcast is being recorded today, the Gubby Gubby people, and to extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. Hi everybody, welcome to today's episode. I am so excited to introduce you to today's guest. Lily Brown is incredible. She is a somatic sexologist and as you're going to hear in this episode, she has so much knowledge and she is so passionate about what she does Uh, It's just incredible to hear. I'm so excited for you guys to listen to this episode. We talk about some really important things, particularly to highlight. Uh, We talk about vaginismus and painful sex. Uh, We talk about sexual confidence um, and really what holds people back when it comes to this topic of sex. Uh, She is... Just, yeah, as I said, a wealth of knowledge and you are going to get so much out of this episode because I know that I certainly, certainly did. Uh, I just love chatting to Lily. But before we get into that, and I'll make this super quick because I think we recorded for about an hour, um, I'll go through my best and worst of the week and my quote. So, Honestly, my best and worst are the same thing. I So my best is I have absolutely loved watching all of the Taylor Swift content this week. <laughs> like everyone at the concert and just having the best time. I just think this whole Taylor Swift phenomenon and the community that she has, I don't know, been able to make... It's just so beautiful to watch and I just think it's incredible. Like I think there's so much shit, you know, going on in the world and when all of these people get together with, you know, the love of this one thing, I just think it's so cool to see. So that just made me super happy watching all that content and just seeing how happy people were. Um, And my worst, honestly, was that I wasn't there. It looked so fun and I... I like Taylor Swift. I'm not, I would definitely not call myself a Swifty. Um, but it just looked so fun. The energy and the atmosphere just looked amazing. Um, so that's my worst, which is silly because, yeah, it's just silly because I wouldn't want to take a ticket away from a Swifty, but I really wanted to be there. It just looked so much fun. So if you did go, and I know a few of you have gone because you've sent me photos and videos and it just looks incredible. 
I hope you all had the best time. Um, and my quote today, so kind of in line with this whole women, um, supporting women really, to be honest, it is be the woman who fixes another woman's crown without telling the world that it was crooked. And I just love that. I think women supporting women is just honestly the most important thing. I think we can so often get stuck in this trap of women are our competition and all this nasty, toxic rhetoric. And I just think any other women that are doing well, I'm so inspired by them. And I think that's the important thing. You can either be jealous or you can be inspired and let's just lift each other up and support each other because I just think it's the most beautiful thing to see. So that is my short, sharp, quick intro because today's episode is awesome. You're absolutely going to love it. I'm so thankful for Lily for coming on to the podcast and sharing her wealth of knowledge with us. I hope you all enjoy and I will stop talking now so that you can. All right. Bye. Lily, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. I'm so excited to chat and to introduce my audience to you. I would love for you to just tell me a little bit about yourself and what it is that you do. Mm, Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited for this conversation that we're going to have today. Already, I know it's going to be so juicy. I am a somatic sexologist. So what that means is I fuse somatics with sexology. So somatics is focusing awareness on the body and sexology is the scientific study of sex. And I was very intentional about wanting to go down the path of somatic sexology versus clinical because I am so passionate about harnessing our mind-body connection. We live in a society that has a cognitive bias, and that means that often we spend almost all of our time in our heads. And so when we're not carving out intentional time to be in our bodies, to be present, and to really unify our mind-body connection, it can feel really discombobulating. And I think we're also not able to access the depth of pleasure and presence and the richness of feeling that we would otherwise be able to experience. Mm. And so I work with individuals and couples and groups. So I run lots of workshops as well as seeing people one-on-one and couples sessions for a range of different things. It might be uh, they might be having a sexual concern. So things like uh, painful sex, for example, difficulty with erections, mismatched libido in their relationships. And on the other hand, it can just be people want to learn about their sexuality. I always think that even if you are having the best sex of your life and it feels so damn good and you want more and more, we can always experience more pleasure. So why would you say no to more? I think <laughs> it's honestly like, come on. Why would you truncate your own it. pleasure potential here? <laughs> there can always be more, no matter how good it's feeling. I love that. And I absolutely love what you say about, you know, our obviously cognitive bias and particularly for women. I think we can get so in our heads about sex and what it should be and what we should be feeling and what we should be doing and look like and there's there's so much going on in in our heads it's just kind of I guess how we're wired as women Mm. um that I think the somatic aspect of it is incredible I think that would be so helpful can you explain a little bit more about the somatics and like how that would look maybe like in a session with you of really tuning into our our feelings because I think a lot of us find that difficult oh totally totally Mm. and for anyone listening that finds it difficult to sit with your feelings you're not alone in that it's something that I hear from almost all of my clients and of course I'm not exempt from that right I don't think any of us are Uh, And so sitting with the feelings and sitting with what is present, whether that's sensation or thoughts or emotions, 
is a core part of somatics because that is how we're able to fully feel and process what it is that's there. And so in a session, what this could look like is uh, focusing awareness on certain sensations or certain thoughts or feelings that we may be having. Take anxiety for an example, right? So often when we're feeling anxious or some other kind of unpleasant feeling, we tend to avoid it because we don't want to feel it. It feels yuck, right? We don't want to sit in that. And that's totally human, I think. But when we don't actually sit with it and feel it, that's when it can snowball and get more and more intense. Mm -hmm. Because these sorts of things, right, sensations, emotions, feelings, thoughts, they're all messengers. Our body is giving up, communicating loads of somatic information to our body and brain. And so that is all it is. It's information. And when we don't carve out the time to sit with it and allow it to be there, those signals, things like anxiety will get louder and louder and louder because your body and brain is going, all right, hey, she's not listening to me. Let me ramp this up. So then it becomes impossible to ignore. So simply just sitting with it. And often what we find in session is that clients are often quite They feel like it's a bit of a daunting prospect sitting with their anxiety, sitting with that unpleasant emotion. But almost always what we find is that after a couple of minutes of simply being present with it, right, just noticing where it is, where it might be showing up in the body, it begins to dissipate because Mm. it wants to be heard and it wants to be acknowledged. Mm. And so for other things, other somatic practices that we use are things like body scans to begin to get a sense of how your body is working and what is showing up for you, what you can notice. Mm-hmm. Uh, other practices like movement, breath and touch practices, bringing all of these sensory tools online. And when we're working somatically, we're using the main five somatic tools and they are breath, touch, sound, movement and placement of awareness. And I think when we harness the power of these tools, particularly all together, in our general life, and especially in a sexual context, that's where we can access really rich, deep, ecstatic experiences, particularly pleasure experiences, because we're bringing everything online, we're getting into our body. And sex and pleasure is a bodily experience. Yeah, of course, there's cognitive elements, but when we can be fully present, it allows us to release some of those inhibitions that may have been holding us back and I think this is particularly important when we're looking at sexual concerns around say performance anxiety and body image issues if we can focus more on how things are feeling in our body then we're less likely to be having those thoughts of oh how does my body look am I taking too long to come is my partner enjoying this because we're present we're anchored in the present moment and I think that's where the richness is yeah Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And that idea of just being present in that moment, I think would be such a foreign concept to a lot of people. And I think that's really what can get in the way of things like libido and everything, because when you're never present in it, you're not enjoying it which means obviously you don't then want to do it because you don't exactly. have to do it because it's like, well, when I'm doing it, I'm not present anyway. So I can only imagine just the the training mm. of, of your clients to be present in the moment would be life-changing for them. It, Absolutely. Yeah. It is. It is. And we always start outside of a sexual context. Mm. I think that's really important to stress because Quite often when I see new clients and we're beginning to explore this, they feel quite anxious about, oh, how, how am I going to bring this into a partnered context, right? Okay, I might have had this great session and I've done some breath work and I've done some touch exercises, but oh God, it feels really overwhelming to bring that into a sexual context with my partner straight away. And so we always step it back and say, let's start practicing these skills outside of a sexual context to build your confidence. It's like we're basically training a new muscle here, right? Mm -hmm. Through the power of neuroplasticity, we are beginning to rewire our brains in these pathways, moving toward being more embodied, moving toward being present. And it's a process. 
And we need to take small progressive steps to get there. You can't expect to have one session or do one or two embodiment practices and be someone that's deeply anchored in their body. It's not realistic, particularly given the world that we live in. I think it's really important to acknowledge that we do live in a white supremacist heteropatriarchal society. And as a function of that society, it's, it is of no benefit. It does not keep the cogs of this system turning if we are all present and embodied and living slowly and gently. And so this is inherently really radical work. Mm. And so by building these skills outside of a sexual context, I think this is one of the most powerful ways we can begin to integrate them and build our confidence with them with, within ourselves, right? Building our confidence about how to harness and use these tools in our broader lives and in our sex lives. Mm. And it is really life-changing. Mm. Uh, it sounds a little bit naff, but I always say that these are the skills that you learn through sex education are skills for life. Yeah. They have such a resonant ripple effect into every facet of our lives. Mm. Things like learning how to be in your body, learning how to be present, how to communicate and articulate your desires. Mm. All of these things just, in, I think, instill us with this really embodied sense of confidence. And that's definitely what I've noticed with my clients. And I think it also helps us step into a place of less reactivity. Yes. We're able to give ourselves time to respond and to be instead of just making knee-jerk reactions to things. Mm. Oh, I think that's such a beautiful way of putting it. And it's, you know, it's like that that saying, like the way you do one thing is the way you do everything. And that domino effect that it's the same with what I do is like working on that anxiety. Yes, it's great. That's going to help that. But it's also going to have this domino effect on, on everything else in your life because mm you've worked through this big block that was that was holding you back and it's really just trickles into every aspect of your life and I, I love what you say about communicating your desires and I think that is one that a lot of people really struggle with because it feels so foreign what do you tell your clients about about that and what tips do you give them because just that voicing, I think, can be a real fear for people. Totally, totally. And rightly so. The amount of shame and stigma and taboo that is still prevalent in our society around sexuality doesn't make that any easier. Mm. And particularly because we're not taught how to communicate our desires. Even our desires outside of a sexual context, many of us feel deeply uncomfortable asking for what it is that we need, whether that is, you know, asking whoever we're in the car with to turn down the air conditioning because we're cold or asking to take a break in a meeting, for example, right? These really simple things. So, of course, when it comes to a sexual context, it feels really edgy and clunky. So the first mm -hmm. thing I always say is that embrace it, all right? It is going to feel quite awkward and clunky when you first start communicating your desires and exploring that. That's normal. That's natural. Almost everyone feels that way. And yeah. so this is a situation where I think just acknowledging that mm. and slowly but gently moving forward anyway is the best path forward, right? Be gentle with yourself, okay? You're not going to, it's not going to feel super easeful and sexy and fluid the first time you start communicating about these things right? There's skills. We are building our skills. These things take time. And then our confidence will grow from that point. Mm. So once we've had that conversation, I think the best way to explore your desires is through self-inquiry. Mm. So have a think about the certain types of things that turn you on. Are there certain dynamics at play, right? When, you, when you're in the throes of a steamy midday fantasy, what is it that you are thinking about? What are the themes that are present in those fantasies? Perhaps it's something like power dynamics or being worshipped and revered. Perhaps it's something else entirely. So do a bit of a reflection process and have a think through the things that you commonly fantasise about. What are the common threads there? If you watch porn or read erotica, what type of that, what type of erotic media do you tend to gravitate towards? What sort of themes are in there? So I think this can give you 
a lot of guidance really about what are the things that really, really turn you on. Mm. And so after you've done that, then comes a bit of research and experimentation. And this is something that can be done solo and or with a partner, right? So doing the research could include taking a sex education course, going to a workshop, reading some books about sexuality, listening to some podcasts about sexuality to get a sense of what's out there, what's available. Mm. There There are infinite things that we can explore sexually. And I think that's one of the things I find so exciting and so fascinating about our sexuality and eroticism is the sheer breadth of what's available to us. Mm. And I think I have a really great tool that I use with a lot of my clients called an erotic menu. And so they go through and I've created a yes, no, maybe list. Um, And so it's just a list of a whole bunch of different sexual acts and activities. And you go through and either write mark it as a yes, a maybe, I need a bit more information, but sounds kind of cool, or a hard no. And so go through, that's a really great tool to write down some things that are a yes, that are on the cards, some things that you're interested in trying, right? And if you have a partner, I always recommend that you do that together so you can get a sense of where the crossover is. And then it becomes time to actually experiment and put this into practice. Again, this can be done solo or with a partner. And I really love the idea of embracing this idea of sex as a practice space and a concerto space right Mm. so that practice space is when we're trying new things with our partner we're acknowledging that yeah you might feel a little bit awkward or clunky today but we're here to try new things to communicate to feel this out and to see what this this great thing is doing and I think by having that delineation that this is a practice space right we're trying some anal stimulation for the first time today or we're trying some impact play or whatever it may be it takes so much pressure off it having to be this great orgasmic pleasurable experience If it turns out to be great and orgasmic and pleasurable, amazing. That's a bonus. But I think that delineation of having that practice space versus the concerto space, and the concerto space is where you have that great orgasmic, pleasurable sex in a day-to-day basis, I think that's a really great way of separating that out and building your confidence, right? It's a great way to begin to experiment and see what you like. Yeah, I love I love that the menu. I think that's such mm. a fantastic tool for couples. Like I think that's that's incredible and it kind of I can imagine that just doing that kind of takes like the awkwardness away of mm. saying, "Hey, do you do you like this? Do you want to do this?" It's like, let's just tick what we like and then we're both, you know, on the same page. I think that's just amazing such a mm. tool. Um, completely I I can imagine that that would build that confidence because Mm. I think sex is a like a big confidence thing and if you're not feeling yourself if you're not confident in in who you are and and your body it can feel like just not not an enjoyable exciting experience Mm. and I want to talk a little bit about that confidence because it's it's a big one. Mm. Do you um I can I can imagine but do you do you see a lot of clients that do struggle with their confidence within this sexual space? Absolutely. The majority of clients that I see would feel challenged about their sexual confidence some or most of the time. It's a really big thing that I work with in session. And it's so common, right? So sex, either with ourselves or with partners, is a co-created experience. Mm -hmm. It's a co-created experience that we are having with ourselves or another person. And it requires vulnerability, Mm -hmm. intimacy, and playfulness. Mm -hmm. And in the absence of confidence, it can be really challenging or even downright impossible to enjoy your sex life, to prioritize your pleasure and to ask for what it is that you want. And to me, at its core, sexual confidence is about feeling comfortable in your body, knowing you deserve pleasure, being able to articulate what it is that you enjoy, as well as listening to the needs of your sexual partner. Mm-hmm. And I think a couple of indicators of sexual confidence that I always have in mind and share with my clients are 
believing you deserve pleasure. That's a big one. And that's another roadblock that I work with in session quite often is people not believing they deserve pleasure. And this is particularly prevalent with women that I work with is we are taught to be subservient, to acquiesce and to please men in so many facets of our life. And so I think taking that intersectional lens is critical, right, to begin to acknowledge that this is not just a you problem. This is something that is often experienced across the board and there are so many systemic factors at play that are influencing this. So the first indicator, believing you deserve pleasure. Another one is understanding and communicating your sexual desires. And you can't communicate your sexual desires unless you understand and know what they are within yourself. So going through that process that we just talked about, Lil, around doing the self-exploration, the self-inquiry, looking at the themes of your fantasies, the porn, the erotica that you consume and weaving those threads together. Mm. Understanding and listening to your partner, this is a big one. And I think couples that I see in my practice who have the best, most delicious, connective, hot sex really comes down to this understanding and listening to your partner, being able to communicate openly about sex moment to moment as this experience unfolds. And the final one that I always talk about as well is setting and accepting boundaries because it's actually, it's, it's not possible for us to completely surrender into our sexual experience in the absence of boundaries because otherwise we are likely going to feel unsafe and out of control. So those are the four main indicators of sexual confidence that I always talk about in session. And there are so many influences on body and sexual confidence and I'm sure this is something that you come across in your work too Lil Um, I'd be curious to know what types of um, you know factors that a lot of your clients are bringing when they're talking about body image and their body confidence oh absolutely and I'm seeing so many crossovers with what you you target with your clients and and what I do as well the deserving aspect is enormous then a lot of my clients that come to me with issues with confidence body image it is a lot to do with worthiness and self-worth and a lot of my clients as well as I'm sure a lot of yours have some trauma as well that's really blocking them from feeling that deservingness and worthiness and that's a really important one to work through and work through gently um because it it's obviously going to block them in so many ways Mm. and this uh these these mental blockers that come up that my clients come to me with with body image and and confidence and self-esteem a lot of it comes down to them just not feeling good enough and i think that intersex so um enormously with this idea of of sexuality because it's a very vulnerable space to be in Mm. with a partner or you know whatever it is you can feel so vulnerable in that sexual space and if you don't feel safe in your own body and you don't feel that worthiness that vulnerability is just too scary and Mm. you then just what I notice with my clients, what they tell me is that they just, you know, it's it's all about the other person and whether or not they're pleasing them and it's this striving of, of am I worthy, am I good enough? Mm. I think that's definitely what I notice with my clients is the biggest blockers there. Yeah, I completely relate to that and I hear the same things from my clients. And what you said about the trauma piece I think is really important to speak into the room now as well mm. that when I'm working with trauma in session, it is done in a really slow, titrated way. Because as you said, we need to give these, give, help the clients develop an embodied sense of safety within themselves. Because in the absence of that, sexuality is not going to feel safe. And what my clients often tell me is that they have a tendency to dissociate, right? So clients who've experienced trauma, who don't have this embodied sense of safety, dissociate and that's a protective mechanism it is not a fault it's not you doing something wrong it's not you doing sex wrong 
it is actually a protective mechanism. This is your brain and your body trying to keep you safe. And so again, once we acknowledge this and we can sit with it and work with it in session, we can gently begin to bring you back to the present moment through those somatic tools that I was speaking about earlier, breath, touch, sound, movement, and placement of awareness. And so as we begin to really work with the nervous system and move toward a space of regulation. I think that's really important to mention as well. This is a really large tenet of my work is nervous system education and regulation because, and I think, you know, a lot of clients who come to me are expecting the first few sessions to be talking about sex, sex, sex. And (laughs) yeah, absolutely. We'll get there, but we need to get you to a space where your body is open and receptive to these conversations and practices before we can dive right in. Mm, so absolutely. once we've done that, I think, yeah, what you said around the lack of worthiness, many people I speak to identify that they don't feel worthy of pleasure mm. or mind-blowing sex unless their body looks a certain way. Yeah. And I think it's really, it's really human to want to look good, but this lack of confidence often gets in the way of us feeling worthy of sex, pleasure and intimacy. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And when you think about, I guess, this idea of safety, you know, I guess like an orgasm in and of itself is like a full letting go and a full releasing. Mm. Can you do that if you don't feel safe? Can you do that if you, you don't feel worthy of it? I don't think so and I think a lot of women think that they just can't orgasm and I want to ask is that true are there women that can't or is it typically just these mental blockers of not feeling safe to just fully relax into it Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. there is a small percentage of vulva owning bodies that aren't able to achieve orgasm but the vast majority of women can experience orgasm it is about surrender as you said orgasm requires us to completely surrender to surrender to the unknown right Mm. every single time to release and let go and that's why in the absence of this embodied sense of safety it can feel impossible to experience an orgasm coupled with things like our abject abject lack of sex education one thing that I almost I bring up in almost every session of mine is that it takes between 40 to 60 minutes for a vulva to fully physiologically arouse wow if you're I know right so you're not allowing time to build arousal in your body it's going to be even harder for you to go on this journey toward experiencing orgasm I think another mental block that often gets in the way is wanting to experience that orgasm right seeing that as the goal of this sexual experience and the reason I think the main reason orgasms can be so elusive is because we get so fixated on wanting to experience this you know short sharp moment of ecstasy and god yes they feel so good but they're not the be all and end all and almost always what I observe with my clients is when we get them more present and really redefining this whole experience of sex to be an orgasmic experience rather than just chasing one orgasm Mm -hmm. it completely it's a complete game changer it allows Mm. them to be more present it allows them to completely expand their capacity for pleasure Mm. and I think orgasm in particular for women requires safety and surrender it requires relaxation It requires our nervous system to be feeling calm and connected and regulated and that social engagement system turned on because if we're looking at stress hormones, stress hormones like cortisol and adrenaline really interfere with our sexual hormones and our arousal process. And if we look at that from an evolutionary perspective, it makes complete sense, right? If you're in fight or flight and you're running for your life away from an animal that's trying to tear you limb from limb, you're not really thinking, oh, yeah, I'm getting quite turned on right now. Oh, hey, that treat looks like a good one for a quickie. (laughs) Not necessary. And yeah, okay, most of us aren't being chased down by a beast in this day and age. It's just, you know, a somewhat scary email from our boss or maybe being five minutes late to an appointment. But our nervous system doesn't know the difference. Mm. And so if all of those stress hormones are cycling through our body, it's going to be almost impossible to fully surrender and enjoy 
this experience of pleasure that is available to us because our brain our body and our nervous system is thinking threat there is a threat here I've got to be on edge and that's not a recipe that's not a recipe for a good sex or expansive pleasure Mm, yeah I think that that relaxation Mm. aspect of it is just so important it's like it's a it's a it's a head game you know if Mm. you're not able to relax in that moment and you have so much focus on this end goal of an orgasm it it can take away from the whole experience and I think this uh, idea of just exploring without the end goal there if it happens fantastic Mm. but if it doesn't you've still been present in the moment and it's can be like a you know a playful fun experience Mm. I think that's that's such a good way of reframing it and I think that reframe is really really important Absolutely, because I think it helps take away some of those expectations and pressures that we put onto ourselves and partners. Definitely, definitely. I think the the expectation is so important. And also, you know, there's, um, I think a lot of women experience like, oh, is uh, is this taking too long? Mm. Is, am I, is this annoying for the other person? And you can a lot be thinking about the other person. And I think to an extent that's a good thing. but to the point where it takes away from you actually being present in the moment, Mm. I think is actually quite a detrimental thing. And I want to also like just quickly touch on singles because this is, this is kind of a, an easier topic when we talk about a couple, Mm. a little bit more comfortable talking about things, but for those that aren't with a regular person, how, do they begin to feel more comfortable and confident in, I guess, expressing to someone that, hey, maybe is a one-night stand or maybe isn't someone you're, you know, seeing all the time, how do they begin to come, become a little bit more confident? Mm, such a great question. I think the first part of it, again, comes back to this idea of self-inquiry, mm. experimenting with yourself. You need to figure out what turns you on, how your body likes to be touched. This is also something that can change moment by moment, day by day. Maybe yesterday you were really into this hard and fast kind of touch that felt really good and really intense. And then maybe today you're not feeling that and you want something slower and more sensual. This Mm. is why embodiment and being able to feel into your body and tap into what it is that you want is so important. And this comes through self-exploration, right? Through your own self-pleasure practices, exploring your own body for pleasure's sake not for the sake of chasing that orgasm and of course yeah sometimes you just want to rub one out and have an orgasm and get on with your day that's great we all do that (laughs) I think setting aside this intentional time to go deeper with yourself and to explore and experiment and feel into what is your highest sexual self-expression right what type of touch turns you on what do you need to even get into a sexual state of mind, right? Context is everything. It's a huge thing I speak about in client sessions is the context of our sexual experiences. This is something that you can explore solo as well. Mm-hmm. And so when we talk about context, there's two parts of it I want you to think about. The first is the tangible context, right? So things like the environment that you're in. Do you like dimmed lights, no lights, candles, a specific playlist, a specific scent, certain types of lube or pleasure tools? So those kind of tangible, practical elements of context. The other element of context is around your mindset, right? Your mindset, how you're feeling in your body, all of these other things, knowing what it is that you need to get into that sexy state of mind. Maybe it's being home alone. Maybe it's having the door locked, whatever it is. So knowing your personal context, I think, for arousal and to build your desire is critical. And this is something we can explore solo. And I think exploring solo, whether or not we have a long-term partner, is the best place to start because it takes so much pressure off of you, right? You don't have this whole other person who is bringing, you know, their emotions and experiences and expectations to this encounter. It's just you. You get to go on this journey of erotic self-discovery, which is so fun. 
Mm. So all of those partner practices that we were talking about earlier are applicable. Self-inquiry, this research, have a look at the types of themes that turn you on, right? Those things that you fantasize about, the types of porn or erotica that you gravitate toward. What are the key themes there? What is it that really turns you on? A question I love to ask clients is, right when you're about to orgasm, what is what what do you often think about that sends you hurtling over the edge? What is that image? So I think that can always be a really juicy bit of information about what turns us on and what types of things we might like to explore. Mm, totally. I think that's it would be rare, I think for anyone listening, myself included, to to think about that stuff, to mm. think, okay, what do I think right before? And to have that awareness there. And I think a big part of what you do is, is that awareness, like actually totally understanding yourself on this whole new level so that there's there's no confusion there for you. You know what what your body likes. You know what it responds to. Mm. And I don't actually think many of us take that time to actually do that work. No, we don't. And that's why I love doing this work so much and having these conversations with clients because there are so many light bulb moments, right? They just haven't yeah. had someone pose questions to them in this way or they haven't thought to think this stuff through. But it's so critical because our brain is our biggest sex organ. It mm. is our biggest erogenous zone. Right? Yeah. We love to, when we think about sex organs, most of us think about our genitals yeah. or our breasts and nipples. And yeah, absolutely. But our brain, above all, governs our sexual response. And particularly when we're looking at arousal, there's two parts of arousal. There's our physiological arousal, and that's the arousal that we feel in our body. So you might notice things like um, getting wet, an engorged penis, clit or nipples, flushed cheeks, dilated pupils, increased heart rate and blood pressure, all these fun, sexy things. Mm. Dilated pupils is one of my favourite things. I think I've never so, heard that. <laughs> it's so hot and primal, honestly. <laughs> Look at your partner's eyes right before they orgasm. If their really? eyeballs, often they will be like enlarged by dinner plates. And the science is a little divided on that. But the consensus currently is around when you're so turned on and just in that zone, it's just like, I want to see everything. So that's oh why you have that God. pupil dilation, which is really hot and fun. Ooh, so we have that physiological experience, right, That that embodied experience of arousal but then there's also psychogenic arousal and psychogenic arousal refers to the mental game right so the your your mindset being in the right context feeling present and safe and grounded and open and receptive to this sexual experience and so to ex really experience the hottest sex of your life it's a melting pot of this physiological and psychogenic arousal right if we can bring your erotic mind and your erotic body into harmony, that's when we get to experience these mind-blowing, back-arching, toe-curling pleasure experiences that leave you hungry for more. Mm, mm, that is, it's just so interesting that there's just so much more to it than I think we, obviously, we're, we were ever taught. That's common knowledge. We are not oh, taught yeah. when we're younger anything like this, which is ridiculous. Mm. But there is just so much to it and I think the the power of knowledge that you are able to give your clients and anyone listening I think is can truly change someone's life mm. like you can because sex is a huge part of life it's enormous and if there's any fears and, and things there that's a big part of your life that you're missing out on um mm. and, completely and I wholeheartedly believe that having toe-curling, fulfilling sex is life-changing, right? Mm, yeah. Pleasure is your birthright. We exist to feel good and to feel connected. Pleasure isn't just a reward for labour and productivity. It is something that yeah. resources us and infuses us with such a sense of vitality and aliveness. Mm, yeah, that 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 point of it's not just a reward for productivity, that's a big one a big one for a lot mm. of people that mm -hmm. think that they only deserve it if you know they've worked really hard but they've done this or whatever which is something we definitely need to be reframing 
Um, and another thing, you know, you're super passionate about is helping clients with vaginismus mm. and painful sex. Can you tell us a little bit about what vaginismus is? I only really learned about it, you know, like a, a year ago or something. It's mm. not something that's really commonly spoken about, I think. What, no. what is it? How does it affect? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So vaginismus is an involuntary contraction of the vaginal and pelvic floor muscles. And it is generally a, a response by the fear pain cycle, right? So if we are, if we are experiencing things sec- like sexually that are painful, that is going to create this expectation in our brain and body. Okay, sex is painful. And then so next time you have sex, you will be bracing and expecting that pain. Your whole body will tense up. Uh, particularly with vaginismus, those pelvic floor muscles and vaginal muscles are going to tense and contract even more. And so with vaginismus in particular, it's often I often hear my clients describe it as it feels like there's a wall and they just cannot penetrate their vaginal canal, either with a finger or toys or a penis, whatever it may be. And Lots of people with vaginismus can't use tampons or menstrual cups, for example, because any kind of penetration is very painful at best or at worst, excruciating. And this can obviously make it really, really challenging to get medical exams done, right? Internal ultrasounds, pap smears and examinations that require internal penetration, use of speculums or other devices can be incredibly anxiety-inducing, and very, very painful. And so that I am particularly passionate about working with painful sex, things like vaginismus, vulvodynia, any kind of dyspareunia, which just means painful sex. And I guess I have a vested interest in it because I've experienced that myself, right? I experienced vaginismus for a couple of years, about five years ago, and I also have experienced vulvodynia. And I was having both of those at the same time. I was seeing so many different practitioners, honestly, my body felt broken. Everything was extremely painful and I just felt like my body had betrayed me. And that's a really common thing that I hear from my clients as well. And so I think getting holistic support when you're experiencing painful sex of any kind is absolutely critical. And generally, when I'm working with clients in session, we're using The combination of things like counselling and coaching techniques, somatic practices to build your mind-body connection, to downregulate your nervous system. Because again, vaginismus in particular is a product of that fear-pain cycle, right? We learn to, we have an experience of sexual pain. And then the next time that we go to have sex, we're anticipating that. And then we brace and because we're bracing and tensing and everything is so tight and rigid, of course, it's going to hurt. And then the cycle just reinforces itself. So we really work on slowing things down, developing that embodied sense of safety and downregulating the nervous system so we can begin to build, break that fear pain cycle. And then we're also including things like sex ed, sex and pleasure education. As I said to you just before, it takes vulvas between 40 to 60 minutes to fully physiologically arouse. It is particularly important if you're experiencing any type of sexual pain and vaginismus in particular to prioritize that arousal time. Because if you are not completely aroused before you attempt any kind of penetration, it's going to be really painful, right? And so through that arousal process, all of your erectile tissue and engorgeable tissue in your genitals fills with blood and gets all squishy and soft. We begin to lubricate and that helps stop any friction and micro tears that we might experience. It helps our pelvic floor muscles to actually relax. So arousal is a really critical part of this process. And I think that's something that's almost always missing from mainstream medical treatment of vaginismus. There are really incredible pelvic floor physios that I've worked with personally, that clients have worked with and have had some amazing results. But that arousal piece is almost always missing. And I think that is a critical thing to include when we're healing vaginismus because We're not going to be, you know, particularly when we're using things like dilators to help retrain and downregulate our pelvic floor muscles. In a sexual context, there's going to be arousal present. And so if we're guiding our clients to use their dilators without any arousal, 
that's going to be painful and we're going to be unintentionally reinforcing that fear pain cycle. So that use of arousal is absolutely critical there as well. And yeah, using more mind-body connection practices to begin begin to connect you with your genitals and your body. Mm. And then we move into things like graded insertion practices. So we'll begin working in a really slow, gentle way to begin to get comfortable with penetration and pleasure again. And that is done in a really slow, gentle way to not overwhelm your body and your nervous system and to ensure you feel safe. And it's one of the most critical things when we're working with vaginismus is creating that embodied sense of safety. And so that's why it's so important we take things slow. It's a real process, right? Your body has learned through neuroplasticity that, all right, sex is scary, sex is painful, brace. Have that experience of pain, the cycle repeats. So we need to retrain your body and that takes time takes time and, con- and concerted effort and practice, but it's so worthwhile because then you get to experience these beautiful moments of pleasure and you get to reconnect with your body. Mm-hmm. Another thing that I see really often in my practice, and I know I've experienced this personally, is that when you're experiencing sexual pain, because there's so much pain present and because it's in such a tender sensitive area of our bodies right we tend to just dissociate and disconnect from our bodies completely and that's a really common thing that I see with my clients who've experienced vaginismus and sexual pain is that they're really disconnected from their bodies as a whole so that's something that through this process of working holistically we will begin to re-repair that mind-body connection as well. So it it really is a trauma response and a, a protective mechanism, vaginismus. Mm. It's yeah, and I think mm. oftentimes these these protective mechanisms are are seen as like the enemy, right? Like vaginismus, mm-hmm. is, you know, this thing that's ruining my life, my sex life. Whereas I always kind of like to reframe it as like, well, this thing is really trying to protect you because you've had this painful experience, and it's trying to protect you. So let's kind of like make friends with it a little bit and see it from that from that perspective mm. and begin to make changes from there because it really is just it's trying to protect you right absolutely i completely agree and i do a very similar thing in my sessions acknowledging these coping mechanisms or survival resources exactly as you said lil this is your body your nervous system your mind trying to keep you safe and mm. so when we can acknowledge that those systems in our body that are giving us those those fear signals will begin to relax and yeah. calm down and downregulate. Yeah. And it's from that place that we can begin to heal. Yeah. yeah. And heal, that's the, I guess, the important word for anyone that is listening that has vaginismus, painful sex. Mm. Is like, can you get to a place where that's not a thing in your life anymore? Absolutely, you can. Almost always, I would say. It's not always going to be easy work or pleasurable work, but we can get there. I know personally, my personal experience, you know, I've had on and off vaginismus for quite a few years, but for the last few years, since I've really been prioritizing things like nervous system regulation, embodiment, and really ensuring that, yeah, I'm really aroused going into sexual experiences. I'm moving at my own pace. If I need things to slow down or to take a break, communicating that. Those are the things that help keep you safe and that will help to break that fear pain cycle that we're working with. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. I think there is hope. And I think, you know, what I hear from a lot of clients before they come to me is that they've seen so many different kinds of practitioners who've done so many types of tests, often invasive ones, which can, again, be really triggering and anxiety inducing if you've got vaginismus and you're having to go in for regular speculum examinations or internal exams at a pelvic floor physio. And yeah, those things are often quite necessary, but I think they they can be a really, really big cause of anxiety. So something I often I always almost always talk about with my clients who experience painful sex who are navigating those sort of tests. You can ask your doctor to, if you're doing a swab test or inserting a speculum, you can request that you insert that yourself. Yeah. You can request that you move at your pace. 
all these things to help keep you safe, to make you feel like you're in control. Particularly important when we're working with any of these issues around sexual pain, right? So you can ask your practitioner to stop or slow down. You can ask them, I would like to insert the speculum, please. You can bring your own lube from home. Particularly if you have sensitive genitals, bring your own lube. You can use your own lube to medical exams. Mm, that's such a good point and I guess that just requires the confidence to be Mm -hmm. your advocate in in that moment and knowing that you can have that power like that is Mm. your right I think yeah that takes confidence but it's something that is really empowering I think that's Mm. absolutely and going back to this idea of confidence I think Whenever we're talking about confidence, whether it's sexual or body confidence or confidence more broadly, I think it's important to identify that on a macro level, social, cultural, religious and political influences inform how we relate to and feel about our body. Mm. These influences contribute to what we understand to be the beauty standard, what Mm. types of bodies are desirable and what types of bodies aren't. I think knowing that all bodies are good bodies and deserving of pleasure is a really big part of increasing your confidence. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And we're not seeing, you know, certain body types represented in mainstream media, in pornography. It inhibits our ability to feel good about our own body, right? It's no secret that body diversity is seriously lacking. The dominant narrative in our media centers the pleasure of certain and sexuality of certain types of people and bodies, namely cis, hetero, white, thin, non-disabled people. Mm, yeah, it's such an important point. Such an important point to make. Mm. And everything I think that you're doing is just doing such incredible work in this space. And the knowledge and the passion that you talk about this stuff with, I think is incredible. I think you're incredible. And thank you. Oh, I just know that all of the listeners are going to get just such a oh, such an amazing experience from this episode and so much help. But mm. how can, if they want to work with you, how can they? Because I think working with you would be incredible and so so helpful. Mm, thank you. You can head to my website, lilybrown.com, L-I-L-L-I-E Brown.com. That has all of my offerings on there. So one-on-one sex therapy services, couples sessions, and then different types of workshops and events. You can also find me on Instagram at Sex with Lily, where I share lots of good content. And I'm always down to hear about what people want to hear about. So if there's certain types of content or topics that you'd be interested in, I'm always happy to hear my DMs are open open for things that are non-creepy because yeah. goddamn, let me tell you they're a bit of a bin fire sometimes oh I bet I bet oh yeah my dm requests folder I'm like I can't even go in there this is oh, just so lecherous I'm like really dear god I can only imagine and and for like one-on-ones and stuff is that you can do it online Yeah, so online, I live on the far south coast of New South Wales, so I do a limited number of in-person sessions for local clients. Yeah, most of my sessions are telehealth, so we work online, and I think working online is honestly often even better almost because you get to be in the comfort of your own home. You don't have to worry about traffic, getting, you know, driving, parking, all of those things. It's a lot easier to fit into your week and means you get to be comfortable and regulated particularly when we're discussing things like sex right I think it can help make you feel a little more comfortable yeah oh I completely agree I completely agree I love online work Mm, um I will put all the details in the show notes and if you are wanting to work with Lily just head there and book in I think it would be incredible Lil, thank you so much for joining us today oh my pleasure thank you so much for such a juicy chat Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. 
Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.